Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And thank you, friend, for listening in for season five, where we hope to start off each month with a different young woman sharing her faith story, while also allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. And so this month, our first episode introduced my friend and former co-host, Mariah. Mariah and I had a discussion about what's changed in her life since first appearing on the podcast in June of last year. We talked about some significant life changes, including relocating across the country, a new romantic relationship, and a newfound faith. And we talked a lot about that because she recently was baptized into the Mormon church. She's nodding her head (laughs) as we're talking. And she had some great questions regarding Mormonism and why it's different. So if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go over and check out that first episode with Mariah and hear her story. We'll put a link in the show notes at findingsomethingreal.com, and you can find that along with other things like free resources and occasional blog posts, how you can get more involved with this program, and ways to connect. All of that is over at findingsomethingreal.com. And if you like this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. So Mariah, you're here, and I can't believe it because it's 6 (laughs) a.m. How have you been? I'm good. Surprisingly, my roommate describes me as an early bird, which I wouldn't necessarily describe myself that way. But then I get up really early and do things like this. So maybe I am. I don't know. That's but awesome. overall, I've been good. Very busy at school. So. Yeah. So this isn't too painful for you being up this early. This is like a normal no. thing. No, hey. it's just 15 extra minutes. So not not big a deal. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Well, I'm super excited that you're here um, because, uh, you know, Last week, we talked with Alex Earls. You weren't there for that conversation. Um, We're also going to be speaking with Lindsay Medenwalt, where she's going to dive into the logistics of Mormonism. And that actually may play before this episode. Um, And I'm very excited about that. But today, I'm super excited because we have someone here who is specifically here to share the gospel from a very specific perspective. Um, Our guest today is Micah Wilder. Micah is the founder of Adams Road Ministry, um, which is a music and testimony ministry. Um, He was raised as a devout Mormon um, in a family uh, that was also devout and, like his brothers before him, served an LDS mission. However, while on his mission, a Baptist pastor challenged him to read the Bible, 
which he did, and gradually his Mormon world came crashing down around him as he encountered the life-changing love of Jesus Christ through his word, the Bible. Uh, Micah also plays the drums, bass, and guitar. He's married with three sons. And in addition to working in a full-time ministry capacity, Micah is also an owner and operator at the historic Edgewater Hotel in Winter Garden, Florida, which he has called home since uh, 2006. The hotel operates as a tent-making ministry for Adams Road, providing the personal living expenses for the majority of the ministry members, allowing them to distribute all of their resources at no charge. Micah praises God for the unmerited favor that has been poured upon him in Jesus Christ. He is a passionate and unabashed witness of the gospel that so radically transformed his heart and life and has dedicated his life to lovingly sharing the good news to the world. Micah spent 15 years on and off chronicling his two-year journey as a Mormon missionary and the events that led him to the grace of Christ. His book, Passport to Heaven, was released last year in June 2021. And just on a quick personal note, I invited Micah here today because I went to YouTube after Mariah, you and I talked, and I was specifically looking for a former Mormon turned Jesus lover. (laughs) I found a YouTube video of Micah here passionately sharing his life-changing testimony of coming to Christ, a video that has been viewed over two million times. And so I asked my assistant, Taura, to reach out to the Adams Road Ministry um, and was so great, uh, excited that Micah agreed to come on. But then last week I was on social media for a minute and a woman in an apologetics group I was part of was asking for book suggestions. And another woman suggested this book, Passport to Heaven, which I have here uh, by Micah Wilder. The truth was at that point, I didn't even know there was a book because I hadn't started researching for this interview yet. So I ordered the book and started reading it. And it's a page turner. Uh, so well written, so captivating, and thus far, uh, and so full of truth also. And I have to tell you, um, it reminds me so much of Nabil Qureshi's book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Um, I don't know if you've gotten that comparison before, but it's so good. All that to say, I'm thrilled to welcome Micah Wilder to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome, Micah. Thank you so much, Janelle. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Um, I know I just skimmed the surface of your story. It's so beautifully laid out in your book here, um, which sounds like it was a passion project and a long, uh, a long project at that. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit more about your background? Um, you weren't just a nominal Mormon, and I want that to be really clear to whoever's listening. You were extremely devoted and devout. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born and raised in the Midwest in Indiana, and uh, my parents had actually converted to the church in the early 70s. So they were both raised in nominal Christian homes, uh, had converted to Mormonism when they were graduate students at Ball State University. And uh, so they had raised us children in a very devout uh, religious home. Um, they, They were very loving um, taught us uh, a great zeal for God and, and taught us to be dedicated to our faith in every aspect and facet of our lives. And so as a young man growing up, um, I just remember having this, this zeal for God that was instilled in me through my parents. It was instilled in me through, you know, going to church every week and saying my prayers and reading the scriptures and doing everything that we could to, you know, be uh, witnesses of our faith to the world. And so, I remember even as a young child, just having this desire to have a relationship with God. And so I wanted God to know me. I wanted him to love me. I wanted him to forgive me. 
Um, but the only way that I knew to have a relationship with God was through the construct of Mormonism. And so as I got older and got more deeply involved into the laws and the ordinances and the commandments and the rituals of this religious structure, um, my relationship with God was seen through the lens of the Mormon church. And so it really propelled me into being a, an extremely devout uh, young man, uh, much like Saul of Tarsus and his zeal for Judaism. Uh, and, I, and I love what Saul uh, or what Paul said to the Galatians in, in chapter one, that he was advancing in Judaism beyond many people his own age. How extremely zealous was he for the traditions of his fathers? And so that was kind of me as a young man growing up was like I was you know, developing this, this unparalleled zeal for God. And I was living out that zeal by being as good of a Mormon as I could possibly be. And so as to the laws and the commandments of Mormonism, I was living them out uh, with near perfection. And I was striving and, and just endeavoring to, to establish this right relationship with God. But the problem was, I never knew if I had fully attained that, that righteousness. I, I never knew. And, and I think at least the way that I grew up in Mormonism, I don't know that you could ever truly know uh, until the end of your life whether or not you had done enough, because we were taught that we were saved by grace after all that we could do. And so God's grace was given to us, but then we had to do our part by establishing our righteousness, by being obedient to the laws and the ordinances of this religious system. And so I wanted God's favor and his forgiveness and his love. And so I, I, I delved deeply into my religious faith. And I would say a big turning point in my life came when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, my family and I left Indiana and moved right to the heart of Mormonism to Utah. Uh, it was at that point that my mother got a job to be a professor at BYU, uh, which is the private-owned Mormon university out in Provo, Utah. We moved to a community that was about 98% LDS, 98% uh, Mormon. <laughs> And so as deeply entrenched as I was in the Mormon faith up to that point, uh, it really impacted every aspect of my life from that point forward, because it wasn't just uh, the church that I attended on a Sunday, unity, it was my life, it was cultural. So all of my friends, all of my neighbors, everything that I did and everything that I was, was centered around my religious faith as a young Mormon man. And so throughout high school, um, I even became greater in my zeal for God through Mormonism. And, and I would go to the temple with my Mormon girlfriend at 5.30 a.m. and we'd go do these ordinances before we would go to high school. And just in every part of my life, I was trying to show God and display to God that I was worthy to have the best that he could offer me. And so I, uh, I, I strove for that throughout my childhood. Mm -hmm. So when you started your mission uh, when you were 19, did you have any doubts about your faith at that time? Never, not a single one. Uh, in my youth, before I truly understood Mormon doctrine, uh, I, I never doubted it. But as I grew older and as I got into high school and I really began to investigate my faith, I just... I had this unparalleled zeal and an unshakable testimony in, in the five kind of principal pillars of Mormonism. And in each one of those pillars, I had had what I believed to be personal spiritual experiences that had testified to me the truthfulness 
of those pillars of faith. And so I, I, I knew them to be true. I, I would say that I had a greater testimony and zeal and, and dedication, my faith than anybody that I knew, including my parents, including my siblings. Um, and so when I went on a mission at the age of 19, there, there was no doubt in my mind that the Mormon church was true. It was the only true church. It contained the only authority for salvation as I had always taught and that its leaders were prophets and apostles as, as they had claimed to be. And, and I was willing and ready and excited to go out for two years of my life and to share that message to the world. So how does someone go from that to less than two years later, uh, basically failing their mission three weeks before it ends? What happened to you? Yeah, and, and I want to make it clear, I, I didn't set out on this two-year journey expecting to, to be where I was when it ended. Um, as I mentioned, I didn't have doubt. So it's not like I was looking for truth outside of what I had been given throughout my life in Mormonism. And a lot of, you know, Mormon missionaries, they're struggling, they have doubts, they, they have depression, they have homesickness, they, they don't truly have a testimony of their faith, and all those things kind of combine to leading to them, either leaving their mission or leaving the Mormon church. But, but for me, when I set out on my mission, I, I was there to go proclaim what I believed the gospel to be to the world, the gospel of Mormonism, which I was taught was the true gospel of salvation. And so I went out, I, I was sent to Florida on my two-year mission, and, uh, and, I, and I went out daily uh, knocking on doors, talking to people on the streets, on the sidewalks, and, and very passionately sharing my faith. Um, I was very obedient. I, I was very dedicated um, I was immediately put in leadership positions because of my zeal, and uh, and I went out and began to make converts. And so, um, the irony of my my whole story is that the the first major catalyst of what God used to ultimately bring me to salvation was because of my own zeal in attempting to convert uh, a Christian pastor to the Mormon faith. And so, I went to a church along with my Mormon mission companion. Uh, with the intent that this pastor and his entire congregation did not have the fullness of truth as we believed that we had it in the Mormon faith. And so we went there and uh, met with a Christian pastor and had um, a 2v1 uh, with him, trying to convince him that the Mormon church was the only true way to eternal life. And, uh, and so that was really what God uh, used to begin a miraculous and unexpected change in my life. And so as I sat down with my Mormon mission companion and had this uh, long dialogue with this Christian pastor, um, I, I was presented a, a message that I had never before heard my entire life. Mm. And so I, as a Mormon, I, I was devoted to the Jesus that I knew. I believed in him. I believed that he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, was raised on the third day. I would have said all of those things. I had a great devotion to Jesus in my life at that time. Um, but I didn't have a full understanding of what the gospel really was, because the gospel that I knew and avowed in my faith was, was convoluted. It was a distortion of the simple biblical gospel. And it was essentially a gospel of grace plus works. It was the grace of God in Christ who paid for my sins on the cross, but I then had to do my part. 
And I had to do the necessary works and ordinances and follow the commandments in order for that grace to be enacted into my life. And so in order to live eternally in the presence of God, I had to be baptized in the Mormon church, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, be active in my church attendance. I had to pay tithing. I had to live moral codes. I had to live dietary laws. I had to go to the temple and perform proper ordinances. I had to get married. And then I had to live these laws out for the remainder of my life in order to know that I had the assurance of eternal life in the presence of God after I died. And so when this pastor presented the gospel to me, the biblical gospel, um, it was it was so contradictory to the things that I had believed my entire life and the things that I was going about teaching as a Mormon missionary. And basically what he told me was that all of mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that we can never be good enough according to our own merits, that, that there's no amount of works and, and adherence to laws and ordinances that is ever going to make mankind righteous and worthy for eternal life. And so the old law that was established through Moses and all these commandments that the, the Israelites were given, they were there to show the reality that we could never be good enough ourselves, that we would always break that law and therefore stand in condemnation of a just and a holy God. And so for mankind, then what was the solution? Well, the solution from the beginning was Christ. It was Jesus. It was the Messiah who was the very Lamb of God that God would send to pay the penalty for our sins by shedding his own blood on the cross of Calvary. And that Jesus literally stepped into our place and did for each one of us what we would never be able to do for ourselves and, and to pay the full penalty for our sins and to accomplish that victory in his death, burial, and resurrection. And therefore, man's kind ability to be reconciled to God and to be forgiven by God was not contingent upon us being good enough or us being worthy or us being righteous according to any standard of laws and works. Our righteousness comes through believing in the work of Jesus, through faith in him that we are justified not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And I remember that as he's laying this gospel out for me, it was just so simple that, that God's love for me was, was so vast and so deep and so immeasurable that he sent Jesus Christ to be the sacrificial offering for my sins and that I add to that which is already per was perfect and complete. And when he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, it means that the work necessary for us to have salvation was finished through Jesus Christ alone. And therefore, as it says in Ephesians 2, we have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And for me, as I was hearing this message, it was difficult for me because it stood in stark contrast to the things and the teachings and the doctrines that I held so dearly. And I wanted to believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I did believe that, but I also believed that I then had to do my part in addition to his death. And, and to me, I saw this whole idea 
that we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, I saw that as, as foolishness. I saw it as a cheap grace that Christians believe that they could simply um, accept Christ in their heart, and then that was a license for them to go out and to live for sin and to do whatever they wanted. Um, but of course, we know that's not what the biblical gospel teaches, that when we come to true and saving faith in Christ, it regenerates us spiritually, that we are born again, that literally we die to our old once were, and, and, and we are raised into life in Christ Jesus. And if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so that old passes away and we no longer desire to do the things of the flesh. We no longer, you know, desire to sin against God, but yet we have this assurance because of the blood of Christ that his blood has covered us and forgiven us. And I remember pastor, this pastor just had this assurance that he knew that he was saved. He knew that he was forgiven. He knew that he was going to live eternally in the presence of God if he died. And, and I don't know that if I had that as a young LDS missionary. And so the conclusion of this, this meeting with him uh, ended with a very simple challenge. And I remember he could see how frustrated I was by the message that he was sharing with me. And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, young man, you don't have to trust me. And this would be my invitation to everybody. Like, you don't have to trust me. I've, I've read the Bible. Um, I believe the gospel. I'm saved through the grace of Christ. But you don't have to take my testimony as yours. His challenge to me was to go to the source, to go to the Bible, and to read the word of God like a child. And, and I think that that little caveat there, like a child, meant to, to put away my religious preconceived notions about who God was, who Jesus was, what the gospel really was, and to just allow God's word to speak for itself. And for me to just humble myself and, and come to God as a, as a child with their father and allow God through his word to teach me. And so that invitation ultimately changed my life and, and set my life on a, on a trajectory that, that would um, uproot me from everything that I had ever known and loved. Wow. Well, uh, there's so many follow-up questions I could ask to that. I know Mariah, um, her time with us is limited this morning, and I'm sure she has some follow-up thoughts or questions. She even put in the chat here uh, when you started talking um, that it's very common to leave or become inactive after a mission. Uh, Mariah, it sounds to me like it's this is a different situation here, but go ahead and share what's going through your mind right now hearing um, Micah share all of this. Um, well, I feel like one experience that I don't have is definitely Utah. Um, I have some friends that are from Utah, so kind of like hearing the cultural differences um, is something I haven't experienced. Something that I related to with you talking of just kind of like conversations I've had or things like that. Um, some, a conversation that happens a lot, especially because we do have um, returning missionaries is how to keep them active um, or just how to kind of keep them going to things. And it's definitely, and I don't know if this is kind of like every church, but at least for mine, it's mostly college students. Um, so that's kind of the conversation of, going on a mission, then after a mission is if you'll stay, which is definitely interesting. You'd think that that wouldn't happen after a mission, but even some of the people that I've met that are on missions are like, yeah, well, 
you know, it's hard for a lot of people after a mission to stay because you kind of go and you experience things and you talk to people and you either kind of get closer or you go farther apart is one or the other. And from what people have said, it's pretty common to like take a step back and reevaluate everything. And also most people I've talked to have kind of had that same experience of it wasn't until I was on my mission that I either got closer to it or farther apart. Um, And then something else that I thought of when you were talking was just the idea that no matter what we do, it's never enough, which I think is interesting because I was thinking that the other day because somebody was um, talking to me about um, tithing, which is basically how we um, give back to the church. And that's usually 10% of your earnings. And the way that they explained it to me Um, they were like, oh, I love to explain it to children this way. And if you had like 10 gummy bears, you'd give God one. Um, And I remember just sitting there and I was like, okay, but if we take into account that, that that doesn't seem like enough, you know? Um, So that was interesting too, to just kind of have that comparison in the back of my mind of that conversation and being like, you know, that's still not enough. And then other conversations I've had with people, which again is probably different with my experience. Um, It's definitely a lot of converts in my church as well, Um, is there's a lot of um, ordinances that aren't really followed. I mean, I'm literally sitting here drinking tea. Um, And then uh, people that I've talked to about like how they pay their tithing and how there's like loopholes to it. And so it's definitely interesting to see even within that community that there's still Hmm. a lot of things that aren't necessarily being followed or just kind of things that aren't questioned you know I remember talking to missionaries and kind of having that answer of you know we know but realistically that's something only God knows or like you know you don't really know until you get there so then it's the question of okay well now what I guess (laughs) so let me ask you Mariah so like like you're drinking tea you you mentioned (laughs) like if you know right that say a prophet right has has given a commandment hey this is not something that we should be doing like how does that affect like your relationship with god like do you feel guilt about it are you indifferent about it do you think that the commandment originally never came from god like i'm just wondering like for you like because as you mentioned culturally now i went on a mission in 2004 right so I'm, I'm a little bit considered when I was there. Yeah. If I had drank tea, I wouldn't have been able to go on a mission. Like the standards for going on a mission back then were, were so much higher. So for you, types of things. Um, I mean, I feel like specifically with like tea and coffee, um, the way that it's been explained to me is kind of the idea of like, question energy drinks you know I know people on missions that drink energy drinks and in my head I'm like okay if we're not supposed to drink tea or coffee which are both natural things why are you drinking energy drinks (laughs) so like little things like that don't necessarily make sense um just in the logistics of things and in terms of a profit I feel like it would logically make sense for there to be a profit still like in the idea of like um just kind of when we had a last profit or like when we'll get one and then it's the question of you know how do you know that that's a profit um and then also you can kind of see 
some personal motives behind it. Like I know, even with the term Mormon, um, so the current prophet, um, I think his first name is Russell, I don't know, but his last name is Nelson. Anyways, he really has kind of uh, flipped the script with um, the church being called the Mormon church. So he really likes it to be the full name um, and just kind of Jesus Christ centered versus I believe it was the prophet before him kind of kept on with the um, I am a Mormon or something similar to that um, phase. And then ironically, uh, Nelson, before he became prophet, um, sometime in the 90s, gave a speech uh, again about how um, we should kind of stray away from the title of Mormon. And then so you start with him first off before he becomes a prophet, um, talking like some type of general conference talk, which again is something you're supposed to pray about and kind of like get um, heavenly guidance on before you're sharing this message. And so he shares that message. And then the prophet of the time goes back and says, well, that's not fully right. And then as soon as he becomes a prophet, he kind of pushes back again. And he's like, well, just like I said before, if you have two different prophets that are saying conflicting things because um, realistically, God wouldn't do that. <laughs> Um, at least not in things that are completely um, yeah. hot and cold. So there's kind of that validity. Too. Um, like I said, it would make sense to have a prophet, but then it's just kind of the question of validity and even the process um, in the church specifically of finding the new prophet doesn't really make sense to me. Um, you know, the idea that there's already kind of like a lineup of people for it and it just kind of like goes down the line doesn't necessarily right. make sense. So there's definitely structures that i'm not necessarily agreeing with so it just i don't know it's well, interesting and a lot of people don't want to talk about it either right yeah no and i appreciate your 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 um you know just being so candid about it and, and it's important to talk these things through because you know those are all things that i had to start figuring out you know at mm -hmm. that time of my life when i was a missionary again i had never questioned the prophet um but yeah, you, you do see conflicting things, right? So you had a multi-million dollar I am a Mormon campaign that was, you know, designated by one prophet. And then the next is saying that using the term Mormon is is it's a champion, is a victory for the devil, I think, <laughs> or something to that effect. And you say, well, how do I reconcile this? Well, one of the things that that helped open my eyes when I was reading the Bible, um, I, I read the New Testament 12 times uh, throughout my Mormon mission. Because uh, I really wanted to understand, uh, just have a greater understanding of Christ, of his word, of the gospel, and also what Christians believed and why, right? Because they only adhered to the Bible. I adhered to all these other extra biblical scriptures. And so I dove into the word of God. Well, one of the things that became clear to me, and this is an important thing about prophets, because you think, well, it seems to make sense that we would have prophets today. Well, the unique thing about the prophets in the Old Testament is they had a very specific role, and that role was to be the mouthpiece of God to mankind, and specifically the Israelites, right? So God had a chosen people in Israel, and so he had chosen his mouthpiece who had delivered the very word and the very commandments of God. Well, the problem with this is the prophets did have an end date, and that end date was Christ. It was Jesus. So in Hebrews 1.1, uh, it says that in, in various times and manners, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, 
right? So all the prophets and the high priests and, and the elements of the old law that were revealed in the Old Testament, they had a purpose and they had an end date. And that end date was Jesus because Jesus was the one who had come to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? And so therefore all of the prophets, their purpose was to point to the coming of the Messiah, to prophesy of Jesus and of the work that he, was, he would accomplish. So God... He superseded all of the prophets, right? You read the book of Hebrews and it's like, he's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than the law. He is greater than the temple, right? Even Jesus said something greater than the temple is here. And so even the physical structure of the temple, it was representative of Jesus and the work that he was going to accomplish because he literally became the temple of God and within himself was an offering that was made, right? That sacrifice that was made once and for all. So you notice when Jesus died on the cross, they weren't doing animal sacrifices in the temple anymore. Why? Because Jesus was the ultimate and the final sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And so the roles that were so significant in the, in, in the Jewish nation in the Old Testament, like the prophets, they were no longer necessary because God wasn't speaking a new word anymore. Jesus was the fulfillment of all of his word. And that's what's so beautiful. So when Christ came, and he delivered the gospel. That gospel message was delivered once for all. And he showed us the way. He showed us the way to salvation. So I don't need a man, uh, a prophet, an apostle, whatever now to continually tell me different things that I need to do in order to be made right with God. That was the mission of Jesus was to be the, the propitiation for our sins, to die for us and to reveal to us the way to God. And that way is Jesus, that is himself. And then the apostles were chosen uniquely to take that message of the gospel and to distribute it to the world, even to their own deaths. And so what's beautiful about the gospel is that it doesn't change. There is only one gospel, and that is that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that's so simple, but that is life eternal to know Christ and to know God. And we only know Christ through his word, through the Bible. And as we read the Bible, and as I read the Bible as a Mormon missionary, my eyes started to be opened up to, to something that I had never before seen or never before had even fathomed. And that was that, that God's love is so much greater than anything that I had ever given him credit for. Because I was seeing God as this loving father, but this loving father who is requiring all of these things of me so that I would be good enough for him and good enough for eternal life. And that's not the message of, of scripture. The message of scripture is that you, Mariah, and me, and Janelle, and every human being outside Christ ever is sinful, is wretched, and we can't do it on our own. We can't make it. And so God said, I love you. And in that love, I'm sending Jesus Christ to die for your sins. And your response to that, Mariah, is do I trust Christ alone or do I not? And it's that simple is, is do I have faith in Jesus? Do I truly believe that what he did for me is the only thing that can save me and is everything that can save me? And to know that is then to have the assurance that by my faith in what Jesus did, I don't have to fear. I don't have to have the uncertainty. I don't have to wonder whether or not I've done enough for God, right? I, I don't have to wonder whether or not, man, have I paid my tithing? Am I, you know, doing all these things that the churches require me because I don't know if I'm in good standing with God. I can have good standing with God because of Jesus Christ 
and his death on the cross for my sins. And that's what changed my life. Like, as I mentioned before, I wasn't expecting to go on this journey as a Mormon missionary. You know, I, I wasn't doubting it. I didn't have uncertainties. I, I had an unwavering testimony, but I read the Bible. I read the New Testament 12 times as a Mormon missionary. And the more that I read, the more I was just like, I was drawn to this beautiful message of God's grace, of his love, his forgiveness, that, that I was destined for God's wrath. And yet in Christ, he was giving me life. And that if I trusted in Jesus, I could have the, the guarantee of the forgiveness of my sins and to know that I would eternally be in, in his presence. And this is independent of any church structure or authority or prophet or apostle or temple ordinance or anything else, that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the old law was pointing towards. And, and I realized, wow, like I don't need all of these other things, like all of these other things. It's like what Jesus was talking about, the leaven of the Pharisees. Like he, they were adding to something that was stripped down and very simple. And you remember Jesus in John three, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And it's like, wow, that's pretty simple. <laughs> like, like God's love is revealed in Christ. Christ's love uh, is what endured the cross. And because of that love, if we believe in the son of God, then we have salvation. We have eternal life, period, end of story. And I remember I was reading another passage. I think it's in John 6. And the, uh, the disciples approach Jesus and they say, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? And I remember as I'm reading this, all right, he set it up perfectly, right? If, if there's one time that Jesus should lay out, okay, you need to pay your tithing and go to temple and do all these things, it's right here. And then Jesus' res response is, and this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent, period. And I remember reading that and, and, I, and I was blown away because I thought, well, what about the works? What about the good things? Like, what about, it's not fair that I'm just saved by grace alone because I'm doing so much more than all these other people. And, you know, that religious mindset had kind of caused me to compare myself to others and, and to make myself believe in my own pride and arrogance that somehow God loved me more because of the things that I was doing. And one of the gravest revelations that I had to have was God doesn't love me because of me. He loves me in spite of me <laughs> that I don't deserve God's love. Like, like he doesn't owe me anything. In fact, the Bible says that I, I was an enemy of God and yet God's love for us was shown and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and he died for me and he died for you and, and he died for the sins of the world. And that revelation, it, it, it shocked me to the core. And it wasn't like I discovered all of these, you know, things about Mormon church history or Joseph Smith and polygamy and all these other things. It was like those things were irrelevant. I, I just simply discovered the gospel. And once I had the gospel, I realized that Jesus was everything that I needed. And that if I had him, then I was fully satisfied in him. And, and I love the verse. Uh, it's in John uh, 6, after Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And, and I realized that like my whole life, I had been hungry and I had been thirsty and I was trying to satisfy that through my good works, right? Through being a good Mormon. 
And I realized that Jesus could satisfy that, that, that he alone is enough. And that if I trusted in him, then, then he would satisfy my every need and that I, I wouldn't need anything outside of him. And, and I could hold on to him and trust that, that if I was in him, then I had forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And, and that was something that I, I felt like I could never truly have in, in a religious institution. And so it's not about you know, bashing Mormonism or this, that, or the other. It's that no, no organization is the way to salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. And so I realized that I don't need anything but Christ. And, and that obviously put me in a, a very difficult predicament as a very devout Latter-day Saint missionary who had, you know, garnered the respect of my peers and the admiration of, of my parents and my, my religious leaders for being the most zealous Mormon. And I realized that I don't need a testimony in Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon and the Mormon Church and the modern day prophets. I, I only need a testimony in Christ and in him alone. Wow. <laughs> well, friend, I hope you are enjoying this conversation as much as I did having it uh, with Micah and Mariah. I am looking forward to sharing the rest of what Micah has to say about the gospel. And um, yeah, you don't want to miss what he has to say. So come back next week as we share the final part of this conversation. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.